the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. And as always, as always now, of days, we're talking about COVID-19. Joining us again is a returning guest, Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Sure, Nick. Thanks again for having me. Well, you're a popular person now as we're uh, dealing with COVID. I don't know about anyone else, but uh, I think about COVID uh, how many hundreds of times a day. And I know that's your full-time job, so you're always thinking of it. Uh, I always want to mention that we're recording this, and we're recording this on a Wednesday. This is Wednesday, the 29th of July, and this will be broadcast on Sunday, the 2nd of August. And I want to point that out because so many things happen so quickly sometimes now, whatever we're talking about uh, tonight may have changed by the time we get to Sunday when we play this. So I appreciate everyone's understanding and how we're doing this. But, uh, Kevin, the Board of Health, how's the Board of Health doing these days? Well, as you can imagine, we're very busy. Uh, I think between contact tracing and trying to help schools prepare for opening, we certainly have our hands full. With contract uh, contact tracing... Uh, last time we talked, we, we talked about some difficulties with uh, some people not being quite forthcoming in uh, sort of sharing where they've been and who they've been in contact with. Has that been changing or improving for the better good of the whole community? Uh, I'd say probably in the last couple of weeks, we're starting to get a little more cooperation than we were previously, and I think it's just because, um, you know, people are – I, I think, as we talked about, some of our lack of cooperation primarily was coming from the younger age groups, and I think that now they're getting the understanding of kind of where we are and, and what their position is in this. And I think a lot of them, um, you know, are probably being influenced by people, whether they're their friends or their family, you know, just maybe speaking to them about trying to do the right thing. Um, and I know it's, as a young person, it's difficult, right? You have a lot of a lot of things you're trying to accomplish. You know, we all felt invincible when we're young, right? I think it, the pandemic right, right. Is, is, is serving to provide perspective. And, you know, just as anyone would at, at a young age, right, in your 20s, you have a lot to learn. And I think this is just part of the process of trying to possibly get that age group to be a little more civic-minded and a little more forthcoming with the information for the benefit of everybody. Is, is there some amount of anonymity to the reporting? Like if I were called... <laughs> And I was asked, who have I been seeing or in contact with over the last several days at least? Uh, and I gave you some names. Uh, how, is, how is that information used? Do you, you call up the people I give names to and said, ah, you know, Nick Phillips turned your name into me. You know, do you get into that kind of situation or is there some anonymity involved? Well, sometimes, you know, depending on who the person is, they will say, why don't you give me a little bit of time I'll call these three or four people that we're talking about. I'll let them know that you're going to call, and so that way they're not surprised, right? Some people are very cooperative in doing that uh, and, and very willing that's, to that's do that. That's a good that. idea. 
It, it is. It really helps take the edge off of it because, you know, we don't want to really cold call anybody. Um, but again, we're, we're trying to do the best we can in terms of time. So if it becomes an issue of time, sometimes we will certainly just move ahead and, and call people. But, you know, anytime that we can get a person who's a, a case, uh, you know, a lab confirmed case that we're interviewing that's, you know, willing to help us uh, better contact their contacts, so to speak, uh, I, we really appreciate that help. As we've been uh, generating all of this information with new cases and watching the numbers every week uh, and the fact that we have contact people from the Board of Health actually calling people out there who are being exposed and then some of them are actually reporting coming down with the uh, the virus, are, are we able to draw any conclusions as far as how how is this being spread now? I know a big concern is the asymptomatic spread, uh, but then again, people are spreading it who have symptoms. Uh, do we have an idea of where most of the spread is coming from, from the invisible asymptomatic people, or is it coming from people who are, are known to, to have it? That's still something that we don't fully know, Nick. Uh, I think that's an epidemiological piece that is yet to come. Uh, I think as, as we as health departments, both at the, the, the city, county, and state level, are trying to just stay on the treadmill, you know, and keep up with, with the response, I think that type of analysis will probably come a little bit later. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't have a clear picture of that at the moment. Um, but what we will say is that in terms of transmission, what we really are able to capture through a lot of our contact tracing is that it's an accumulation of a lot of small events, right? Um, it's people going, still going to like graduation parties, birthday parties, weddings, funerals, card parties, you know, um, watching movies together, just doing things in groups where they may not be taking all the precautions necessary. Primarily among them seem to be the wearing of masks. So that's why we really just daily, we keep just spreading that message of really wanting people to wear masks um, because we're seeing all, all, the, the, the case counts that, that we're interviewing or the people that we're interviewing and the counts that we're reaching, we're just seeing this be an accumulation of a lot of little events. Um, so we don't really have a big necessarily sentinel event, you know, where we're seeing, you know, hundreds of people get sick at a time. It's, it's more handfuls of people. Um, but again, to your earlier question, I think <clears throat> there are a lot of things that we would love to know about the virus. Uh, but I feel like there's just not enough time or capacity right now uh, or resources to kind of sit down and do that analysis. So we're, we're just trying to, to run with what we can to keep up with the contact tracing and, and do our best to keep the ill people separated from those who haven't been exposed yet. Does the Board of Health need more staff, more, more funding? At this point, we don't um, because the state's been very cooperative. Uh, I don't know if the listeners are aware, but but the state government and the state health department have been very cooperative in trying to help all health departments across the state of Ohio with contact tracing. Um, as you can imagine, we're a larger health department. We're one of the largest ones in terms of population served in the entire state. So we have a lot of capacity, plus we have a great academic community around here and a healthcare community. So we're really in a, a somewhat enviable enviable position in terms of being a, a county health department in the number of resources we have available. Um, so at this point, we're doing okay, but we are still looking to um, move beyond our staffing level here at the Board of Health and working with um, outside companies, possibly, to conduct contact tracing for us. Uh, because as case counts surge and, you know, as we try to prepare 
for the reopening of school, we have to have a lot of contingency plans in place in case we see, as they say, a, a large surge in cases at some point. Well, ultimately, uh, as maybe more people get on board and more capabilities of the Board of Health come on board, uh, I think it would be nice to see sort of a pie chart uh, showing us how the distribution is going or what's causing the infections, like most of them with contact people. I think what frightens most people is the whole concept of there being asymptomatic spread, and, and we just don't know. We end up with a lot of suspicion toward a lot of people that we don't know and try to hang around with the trusted friends we have who are also watching themselves and, and not going to these large gatherings. But one thing you and I talked about in an earlier phone call uh, was the, the, the concept of uh, how much contact do you have to have before you actually come down with symptoms of the disease. And we talked in terms of maybe there's sort of a, a mathematical type formula we can visualize where we have X as a factor for time of exposure, and then a Y might be the number of times we're being exposed to it. Uh, when you say cumulative effect, you mentioned earlier, does the time of exposure and the multiple times of being close to the virus, do those play hand-in-hand hand as to who's going to actually come down with it? Well, certainly the, the accepted guideline from the CDC has been, and just maybe uh, we talk about this maybe in a conversational setting, maybe you and I are sitting down somewhere and having a talk. If we're within six feet or less of each other for 10 minutes or more and we're not wearing facial coverings, then we certainly run a risk. Um, I, I think, though, it depends. You could have a lot of brief encounters with people and increase your chances. So what I mean by that is say that you go to a funeral, right, and, and you're just greeting people and you're all grieving together and you're hugging people, you're touching people's hands, you're kissing people, whatever you're doing. If oh you my. do that for 30 seconds... <laughs> Sounds so dangerous time, now, by the way. Yeah. Go ahead. Exactly. Or in a wedding at a receiving line or, you know, any, or a graduation party. Any of these, these, in, these instances where you typically would hug or kiss people or, or greet people more warmly or even a handshake... So if you do that repeatedly, maybe 30 seconds at a time, but you're doing it 20, 30, 40 times over, then obviously, you know, your, your risk increases. So I think that 10 minutes and six foot rule is kind of a general guidance, but we have to use common sense. I think we're seeing some of this with, with high school sports as well. Um, we're seeing, um, you know, concerns with contact sports, uh, those being primarily basketball, football, and then I think later in the season would be wrestling. So we certainly, you know, have concerns about people physically contacting each other. So I think that's a story that's going to unfold, um, you know, more likely before schools open. There will be probably some sort of determination as to whether they'll permit practices, they'll suspend practices, um, they'll permit games. I think that all remains to be seen. But, but to your point, you know, exposure time and contact points, they all vary based on the type of activity that you're engaging in. Well, we all have to be aware of that. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we're talking to Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. We're going to be back talking about what else? COVID-19 here in Cleveland. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. Welcome 
Scott Cleveland, Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. We're very pleased to have with us Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health talking to us about the latest things going on in the coronavirus here in Northeast Ohio, specifically Cuyahoga County. Kevin, again, thank you so much for being with us. Sure. Thanks for taking the time, Nick. We always appreciate the opportunity to let people know what's going on here, particularly in a pandemic time. Well, it, this is uh, such vital information. Uh, I was talking to some of my friends that uh, I just can't afford to be sick. Uh, there's so many things going on I have to do, and I think most people are like that. And the COVID, uh, no matter what your politics, can still be a devastating uh, illness if you get it. And uh, the unpredictability of it is, is still out there. Is that correct? Do we have any better profiles of people who are going to do better or worse, or is it still a Russian roulette kind of a thing? It certainly is. It's very randomized still, Nick. Uh, I, I think one of the more concerning things that we are seeing now over the past couple of weeks are the reports that we're getting of lingering after effects from people who have recovered. Um, you know, we still see that respiratory um, uh, issues can still be a problem for people once re they recover. Some people are still slow in getting rid of a cough or, or regaining their sense of taste or smell. Uh, some people are having lingering digestive issues. Um, so there are there are things that associated with this virus that we are still learning by the day, sometimes by the hour. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's just very confounding for us at a public health level because while this is very similar to other communicable diseases that we see, uh, it's also got its own unique traits that some of which I'm sure we still haven't seen yet. You know, as we talked before about uh, the idea of tracking people and getting the numbers we want, like I would love to have the numbers of current cases going on in our community, like in North Royalton or other communities. But uh, it seems like the Board of Health is very occupied and busy at this point with collecting data and tracking people and watching what's going on. If, if that's the case, we don't have any formalized numbers yet. Uh, anecdotally, uh, when you talk to the trackers, uh, what are you hearing about uh, maybe a more common method that people are are becoming uh, infected with the COVID-19? Well, I think by and large, it's, it's very much still community spread um, because not everybody has a, a, a story where they say, well, I went to this party, I went to this wedding, right? The things that we mentioned previously. Um, some people have no idea how they got it. Um, and, and I think that's very indicative of the fact that it is ever present and there is community spread. And when we tell everybody to really, you know, try to pay attention to wearing masks and keeping your hands clean and social distancing and, um, you know, we encourage employers to conduct health screenings. You know, we're doing all those things because we just don't really have an idea, um, you know, of, of who, you know, who's at risk. I, I think the presumption is we're all at risk. Um, I think that we're seeing that, you know, right now, as we talked about things evolving, early on we saw a lot of um, unfortunate consequences in congregate living um, situations where we saw a lot of people in nursing homes and assisted livings, unfortunately, being affected by this. I think now that we're seeing the younger people um, becoming more affected, particularly here in Cuyahoga County, we're seeing sort of the, the universality of this, of this virus and where it's not discriminating as to who it's going to affect. So that's why even, you know, if younger people are more robust and they're able to recover, even if they do contract the illness, those things I just mentioned about the lingering effects, those are still very troubling for us, I think, both for clinicians and for us from a public health standpoint. Is there still the big debate about masks? I know that the uh, governor has ordered masks. 
Uh, and here in Calgary County, we have uh, to wear masks when we're out and about. Uh, has that had any noticeable effect in numbers for you? Uh, I think it's a little early still. Uh, I know that what was encouraging was last week we saw our case counts go down and we saw a slight decrease in our positivity rate. So those were both encouraging signs, although we want to be cautious because that's only one week's worth of change. So we want to you know, see this tr- become hopefully a trend where we start to go down here several weeks in a row. Um, but at this point, though, yeah, we're, we're encouraged by what we're seeing, but we just want to be, I guess the term would be cautiously optimistic at this point. There seems to be, I think uh, a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that there are pillars of procedures that we should follow, like masking, like distancing, hand washing. Uh, and those are the traditional things. Are, are there any new uh, things we can do that you can add to that list, or are we still pretty much going to the basics? I think we're sticking with the basics um, as, as far as we know right now. And I think the, the thing about that, Nick, is we, we heard an analogy. I think Dr. Acton used it, and we heard, we heard it again from somebody at the State Health Department as well, where it's kind of like Swiss cheese, right? Mas- masks on their own are not absolute prevention. They're, they're risk reduction tools, right? They're helping us reduce the risk. Right. I don't think any of us think that because we wear a mask, we're 100% scot-free and we're, we're risk-free. But if you wear the mask, and you wash the hands, and you social social distance, right? And we're cleaning and disinfecting commonly touched surfaces. Those are all layers. So any holes in the Swiss cheese hopefully get covered up by the next layer that we apply. So, um, and I think as we said, you know, I think when you asked me this maybe previously in a different different setting, um, these things that we're that we're advocating for are called non pharmaceutical interventions. Um, in the absence of a vaccine or any type of antiviral. These are the best measures that we can take right now. So if you hear anybody refer to NPIs or non-pharmaceutical interventions, what they're talking about are these five tenets um, of the masking and the social distancing and the other pieces. Gotcha. Hey, uh, I have to address the question of schools. You know, we're at the end of July and uh, schools and whether we're opening schools and whether children are going to wear masks and whether they're going to be safe. Uh, do do we have any uh, basic uh, guidelines from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health or from the Ohio Department of Health? Or are we still sort of waiting well, for that at this stage? I think we're waiting, and I, and I think some of this is we want to, to some degree, have schools come to their own decision, um, but we are certainly here to help them and guide them. I think that's the governor's intent when he was speaking about schools, is he wants us to certainly be in an advisory capacity, but have them kind of guide their own decision-making process as much as possible. But as we sit here today on the day that we're having this conversation, Nick, two interesting developments. The Ohio Education Association um, is, has a statement that they issued today, which says that they feel that schools and campuses should only reopen for in-person instruction when conditions are met that ensure safety of students, educators, and, and everyone else. So their recommendation now is they don't feel we're at that point. And they're recommending remote learning to open the academic school year. Uh, and then additionally, we saw the Ohio High School Athletic Association uh, put out a statement where they are suspending all school scrimmages for fall sports. So that would include football, soccer, and field hockey. So things are starting to go, you know, a, a little bit differently now as we're getting closer. So I think as, as we're, what, two to three weeks away from the opening of school, I think you're going to continue to see developments um, that probably lead us to more remote learning environments than not. 
I, from your experience, from what you've been seeing as far as how we've been doing the last several months here, I know that uh, there's a, a lot of politicalization about who's going to do what and who's going to comply with what orders. And there seems to be a reaction and hostility toward having to be ordered to do something. But if you put the information out as a best practice based on scientific information, uh, are, are we getting any more cooperation? And do we have any uniform agreements to, like, what are the best practices for opening a school yet? Well, everything's guidance-based at this point in Ohio because, um, you know, they, the Ohio Department of Education and the Ohio Department of Health did put out recommendations for schools. Um, I, as Again, I, I think the state, I don't know if they'll be putting out anything further before the beginning of school, but I think they're trying to let this play out. So when we talk about politics, you know, there are people that are on one side and, you know, they're just going to kind of plant their flag in the ground, so to speak, and, and this is the direction they're going to go. I think from public health, we're trying to just appeal to science, research, um, education, data, right? So so we're trying to really make the best decision we can, not based on any sort of opinion or <clears throat> a feeling of, you know, a resentment towards telling anybody what to do. We're trying to give them the best information we can from a scientific and a, and a data standpoint. So, and, and when it comes to people being told what to do, I mean, that's, you know, that's sort of a function of our government, right? I mean, we have seatbelt laws. We all have to pay our taxes. We have smoke-free Ohio here in Ohio. Now, I wouldn't say that any of those things necessarily happened without some resistance, but we also see the agreement that those are the best things to do to protect us all as a community. And as a society. I agree. And I, I think that's, that's where we're going with this, right? We're using science and research and data to tell you that we think masks are the best defense you have right now, along with those other things we mentioned. You know, and then when, we, when a vaccine makes itself available, right, so the, the dynamic will switch a little bit. But for now... You know, we're doing the best we can, and we're making the best recommendation we can based on the science that we know to be true. Well, on that, we're going to have to say, until next time, Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. Thank you so much, and in a couple of weeks, we'll have you back on and give us another update, hopefully some really encouraging news. Let's be optimistic. Thank you, Kevin. Yes. Sure, Nick. Thank you. You're welcome. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And joining us again is the Cuyahoga County Council Representative Nan Baker, who is helping us uh, understand what's going on here and keeping us posted on everything COVID and everything economics as well. Nan, thank you for joining us, as always. You're welcome. It's always uh, good to give you an update and um, let you know what we're doing at uh, Cuyahoga County Council. Well, we we need to know that because transparency is just so important. There's just so much conflicting information out there. So it's great to hear it from somebody who's actually sitting in the seat here and uh, able to tell us what's happening. First off, let's talk about COVID. How is Cuyahoga County doing with COVID? And just to let the uh, listeners know that even though this is Sunday night broadcast, we're recording this on Thursday, the 30th of July. So, And I say that because things might change between Thursday and Sunday when, when this is broadcast. But as of Thursday, today, yes. uh, how yes. are things going in the county? Well, you know, we are continuing to monitor and uh, 
receive information from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health that gives us direction as to know just how we're doing and keeping the, uh, the line flat if possible. Of course, everyone knows that uh, masks are mandated uh, when you go into public spaces. So that is uh, no longer a county initiative. That is a state initiative. We're up to about 12,000 confirmed cases, uh, 465 deaths since we've um, had uh, this threat come into our lives. Uh, you know, we're constantly working on uh, making sure that those that have been uh, feeling any symptoms, have the ability to be tested. Uh, we um, certainly are um, doing many things on the front to keep people safe. We just recently approved $15 million along with a second phase of $15 million that is being paid for by the CARES Act through federal funding to make sure that every county building is safe. And the deadline for having that done is the end of December of this year. So we are rapidly working to make sure that uh, the Justice Center or our administration building or any county building that you should walk into, you will have a touchless type of uh, um, buttons that take you through the elevator or open a door or make entrances um, six feet apart when you're seated. and. Uh, lots of different things that uh, we have been proposed and just yesterday gave approval to. Um, we also got an update on the damage that was uh, that took place um, during the riots that we all uh, saw and, and unfortunately uh, witnessed uh, mostly on TV. And uh, unfortunately, there were 103 different businesses now that have been applying for relief. And that number grew from the last time I talked to you to almost six million. So the different organizations um, within Cleveland have come together and they're trying to give at least twenty-five thousand to each business um, to help them overcome some of the damage and the landlords that had damaged their buildings uh, in order to get these businesses back on track. So a lot is happening in Cuyahoga County in. Um, not to mention the Health and Human Services levy that passed that is also trying to address many of the issues outside of COVID, and then also the uh, opiate dollars that were received and settlement dollars um, that we're also trying to overcome in that before the um, virus risk came into our life. So a lot on our plate, um, and even more I haven't even touched on um, that we can all Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. Well, I have a couple of questions based on, on, on just the update you've given us thus far. Uh, we talk about 12,000 cases. Uh, do you get information that would let you know about how many active cases we have here in the county? Well, I, I put a request in, and I'm working with our council president, to try and narrow in Cuyahoga County, where are the hot spots? How many are coming from, say, Middlebrook Heights? How many are coming from North Royalton? How many in Strongsville? How many in Westlake? How many in Euclid? So that when you walk out your front door, you have an idea of, should I be extra careful or should I not go to this restaurant in this city until I know that those numbers have come down? It's been difficult, to tell you the truth, to get those numbers, but I'm working on it. I know the council president is working on it. 
the uh, Board of Health is being a little um, resistant in uh, telling us it could be HIPAA laws that prevent them from doing that. Um, we're not really accepting that as an answer. But, no, um, I, I, I disagree with that, too. I agree with you. Uh, and I, I may have mentioned to you just in other conversations, my daughter living in Weehawken, New Jersey, uh, they get a report every other day as to how many active cases there are in Weehawken. And you're right. Uh, if you hear that in your city, like if you hear that in North World, there are only eight active cases, that's going to help reduce the anxiety of exactly. the people who are going to the grocery store. Unless you heard that in a place like North Rome, there are hundreds or a thousand cases. So it's very important to know what's active in your case. So I hope that works out. Is there a funding issue? To, does the Board of Health need more funds to hire more people to do this? I don't think so because they give us the ranges. I mean, the plain dealer actually really hit hard with the, pub, with the Board of Health pounding away every week. Why can't we get better numbers than just a whole county number? And so they, they did give us a map of ranges, but ranges aren't enough. And in order to have those ranges, they must know what the specific numbers are. So I don't think it's a, it's a reporting issue. I think it's more of a keep it close to your chest issue. And um, why that is, I'm not sure. It's been about a month since I've asked, and I've asked for a couple of updates, and I've been told that we're working through it, and um, be patient, and okay. You know, I, I want to work within the people that are there. But uh, it comes a point where how long are we going to wait? If, if the numbers oh, are right. increasing, we want to know where. And I think that's only fair for the people who are working hard in this county that are doing what they need to do faithfully, that they have the right information uh, before they walk out their door to know, like you say, if I've got an increase in Westlake, I want to know that. If there's one in, in Middlebrook Heights, I want to know that. If I'm taking my kids somewhere and there's an increase or a hot spot, I want to know that. And I, I think that's only right that we uh, have that kind of information. Well, I, and I, believe I, I agree. Well, we've been going for so many months with this, now going back to March, that this has been such a tremendous issue that uh, yeah. it should be normalized by now so we have a good idea what we're stepping out of our homes, out of the door, and into the streets what we're stepping into. Uh, yeah. Another question have from your perspective, oh, question with regard to uh, jurisdiction. Does the Board of Health fall under the jurisdiction and control of the county council and the executive? Or are they independent? It does not. It is under the jurisdiction of the state. So that's so uh, the State Department of Health. Yes. So we do not have the jurisdiction. We we work with them. We give funding to them. But when it comes to who it is they are accountable to, they are accountable to the state. Doesn't mean that we can't work with them and they can't release uh, information uh, if there's no reason not to. But we don't have the absolute authority as the uh, state does. So, oh my. yeah, that makes it a little... Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, another topic, uh, being in the position you're in, you have the opportunity to hear the latest uh, theories and information about how COVID is out there, how it's spreading. Uh, anything new with regard to the asymptomatic spread? Uh, that's yeah. the scariest part because if somebody obviously has symptoms, we're going to stay away. But how do we know who has it and who doesn't? Are, are, is there any more intelligence information on that? 
You know, there there hasn't been. It, that's why we have a statewide mandate for everyone to wear them. Because remember, what they're saying is that you could have it and don't know it. So wearing a mask protects the other person. And so if everyone wears a mask, then everybody is protecting each other. And that's the whole theory behind mask wearing. I will say, though, Nick, that I am becoming more and more optimistic that we will have a vaccine, that that vaccine is 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 currently underway. It is being tested. We're in phase three of some of these pharmaceuticals. And uh, I would, I'm optimistic that we will have something by the end of the year. And who we need to make sure are protected the most are the elderly, because that is what you're wearing the mask for, for the most part, that those that are the most vulnerable don't get it from you. And with no vaccine, with very little protection, um, we need to make sure that we wear our mask now, but can re- we can relax when we know that the most vulnerable are protected finally. So if that vaccine comes out, it is for the nursing homes, anyone in congregate living, anyone in group living, our people that are working with those health care workers, certainly. And then those that are 65 or over, I'm sure that their doctors will recommend it like they do the flu shot. And that should relax everyone. Um, I can't wait can't wait for that to happen. We're talking to Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga County Council Person Nan Baker. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with Nan talking about uh, COVID and what it's doing to our county and how we're responding. So we'll take a short break. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of the Advocate for tonight. Uh, and uh, we're talking to Cuyahoga County Council Person Nan Baker. Uh, we're talking about what's going on here in Cuyahoga County with not only the COVID disease, but also the effects of the COVID pandemic and what it's doing to us here. Nan, as always, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It's uh, always a pleasure to be here and try to keep everyone updated as to what we're doing in Cuyahoga County. Well, like we were saying, it's so important for this transparency, and you add to the transparency when you can candidly tell us what, what is going on. Um, question, during the last segment, we mentioned about um, uh, doing business with, uh, not doing business, but trying to help the 103 businesses that were damaged during the riots. And it brings me to the topic of the riots. The, the riots started out as peaceful demonstrations with people exercising their First Amendment rights. And then something happened. Something happened where people started destroying property and putting other people at risk and and those kinds of things. And uh, there's that transition of this demonstration going from being peaceful to apparently being organized for damage. Uh, At the county council level, have you heard any explanation as to who's behind the damage? Who comes to a peaceful protest with with rocks and bricks and things? Yes, we have. Any answer for that? Well, I, you know, everything is, we're, we're waiting to hear like everyone else, but we're getting it first. Uh, we did ask the sheriff if he, if he had an update. Uh, we just had a public safety committee meeting uh, on Wednesday, on Tuesday afternoon. And uh, he said that the re- they're, they're still working on it. They can't give us really much more of an update than what we've already heard. 
Uh, he, at his last update to us, said that what he felt the police did in order to hold the Justice Center from being broken into and, and set on fire, which were the threats at the time, felt that he did the responsible thing to keep those rioters from penetrating the buildings. That's the last we heard. He sticks by that story, and uh, he said they're investigating and should have a report to us within the next two weeks. So we are well, that, pressing that's to good. Them. Yes. Well, what I would expect, what I would expect, because I heard in the media that were, there are over a hundred people arrested for doing damage uh, to yes. buildings and other properties. And I was wondering whether or not you're going to hear the results of the interrogations of those 100 people. This is sort of like war or combat when you're arresting people. They are under arrest. Yeah. They're, uh, they're in an interrogation room and asked to find out uh, who organized the organized part of it, who organized the part for the damage, who brought stones and weapons and that kind of thing, and, and to try to piece together some type of a um, understanding of whether or not this is organized damage, organized civil disobedience. Anyway, if you hear that, I look forward to hearing what that's about. But another another question that's coming up uh, no, as we're approaching... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that um, we... Mike Gallagher, who is the chair of the Public Safety Committee, is pushing pretty hard to uh, our our sheriff and police chief to have what's called a uh, safety um, reform training program so that uh, our officers could perhaps learn better practices of what happens so that we could de-escalate sometimes when things outbreak, when perhaps we could have found and had better ways of de-escalating certain situations would be, you know, to our benefit so that you don't see perhaps a riot erupt. So uh, learning better skills, understanding different cultures, maybe understanding, you know, what's going on that perhaps brought it to that level is something that he would like to see Cuyahoga County and other cities in Cuyahoga County participate in. And I wanted to bring that to your attention, that that is oh, also good. being well, sure. I, I think that's fine. My point, though, is if there are people who show up at these peaceful demonstrations with the premeditated intent of turning it violent and working from within the crowd to do that, uh, no matter how nice law enforcement can be and how patient and self-restrained they can be, the people with a mission to disrupt and cause damage are going to do that anyway. And I was wondering you know if we have any, do we know them? Yeah. You are you are preaching to the choir because I am one member of that public safety committee that said we have to make sure that we don't put our police officers at risk, that we have to make sure that we understand there are evil people out there. When you get that 911 call and they're holding hostages or they're in a school or they're somewhere where they are already escalated, that we don't take the benefit of the doubt away from that police officer, that his training isn't compromised by being worried about whether he's doing the political correct thing and put himself in danger and others in danger. So, yes, I, I think there's a fine line there that we need to make sure that we protect our police officers and those they're trying to serve and protect um, when they go into these high-elevated 
uh, situations where people's lives are in danger. So, uh, yes, you have a voice that has said that also. Oh, very good, very good. Well, keep us posted on that again when we have you on again. Uh, the, the next topic, though, uh, in the last several minutes here, uh, we're yes. coming close to the opening of schools. And from the county perspective, how is that shaping up? Uh, do you think it's going to happen, or are we still surging to the point where we can't do it? Well, I think the whole idea of the county executive mandating masks and then, of course, the state mandating masks is to try and get ahead of it before it does surge. Right now, we are seeing some increasing in cases, but it's not to a surge where uh, it is uh, overwhelmingly uh, concerning. So uh -huh. I think that the impact of everyone being extra careful and watching their distancing and making sure that they wear a mask in public is is why we're doing it, so that we can allow for either a flattening of the curve or even a downturn of, of the curve so that uh, our kids may be safer going to school. It's really not our call. It's the call of the superintendents of the schools. The state has given them the authority to make the decision for what works in their cities. So it's, it's, the county doesn't have a whole lot to do with that decision-making process. Are there are there county programs that would be impacted uh, with uh, students, young people, spiking up in uh, the COVID nineteen cases if if schools reopened and it started to get out of control quickly? Well, you know, the of course the first that would be impacted is our health, you know, our hospitals, our doctors' offices, our perhaps um, you know ERs. Uh, that is always the front line for for those type of cases. You know, the children not going to school then also impacts the parents' ability to go back to work. So that too is a uh, is a concern. It's a it's a domino effect. I mean, the the best case scenario is if our kids, and I believe it's ten years or older, wear masks when they do go back to school. Um, and also our teachers are are at a heightened worrisome uh, position because they too are worried that they could be impacted by kids who could be spreading the, the virus. It's a multi-layered uh, concern. It's like I said, it really is up to the superintendents to make that decision as to whether or not they can keep their kids safe, their teachers safe, their staff safe and still allow their kids to come back to school and, and be in a learning environment. Oh, I, a lot I of hear you. You know, half days, uh, online half days, um, lots of different scenarios out there. And that's too, Nick, where I think that if we knew per city how our cities are doing, that could also assist uh, our individual superintendents and their school districts to know that Middlebrook Heights maybe has only a few cases. And uh, Westlake has only a few cases, so it takes the the fear down. Uh, but if uh, North Royalton or Strongsville are are getting increased cases, then maybe those superintendents may make a different decision. So it's um, well, that that's true. Well, let's hope that that comes about uh, because you know the mayors of each city is responsible for the safety of all of its residents, and having that information, maybe they could each appoint 
a point of contact to uh, work with the uh, information and give that information that would be confidence building to everyone. But anyway, thank you, Nan Baker, for joining us. We'll have you on again to give us another update of what's going on with COVID-19 in the county. Thank you. And thank thank you you for listening tonight. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Nan. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning